We're looking tonight at Matthew chapter 13, only two verses. Uh, Brother Lloyd asked me a question in my office. <clears throat> he said um, he finds in the Old Testament God speaks to Moses and Aaron and Moses and Aaron, and then one time he speaks to Moses, and, and I guess he asked Moses to tell Aaron, right? That, and uh, Lloyd's question was, you know, why didn't he just, you know, speak to himself, or why didn't he have, you know, speak to him when they're together, or, you know, that, that kind of a question, and evidently they weren't together at that time, but Lloyd's real thing was, his real question was about when the Lord speaks to us, and he wondered how, in the Old Testament, how that happened, what was it that happened. Well, whenever you see the expression in the Old Testament, the Lord, or the angel of the Lord, either one of those, the Lord or the angel of the Lord, that's always a reference to Jesus Christ prior to him ever being uh, on this earth as far as being born in Bethlehem. Before his humanity, he did appear to people. He was the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. He was the I Am. And so when you see the angel of the Lord, that's none other than Jesus or the Lord, that's Jesus. And he would actually appear to people in the form of a man. Uh, he would appear in Abraham's tent, remember. He was in the fiery furnace, you can think of so many times. When God speaks, he's a spirit, so you don't see God the Father. You remember, he spoke also in the Old Testament, out of the burning bush and in other instances. He spoke with an audible voice. And then Lloyd's follow-up was, what about now? You know, how does God speak to us in I shared, and he had some ideas, and I shared what I've learned over the years from personal experience and study. Of course, he speaks through his word. Anytime you think God's told you to do something and it conflicts with Scripture, God didn't tell you to do it. Because everything God says lines up with this because this is his word. But he speaks to us sometimes uh, through, besides Scripture, sometimes through prayer. I've often said to people, when you're done praying, just wait. Don't just get up and go back to your business. Wait there a minute and just listen. Because the Holy Spirit sometimes gives us ideas, puts thoughts in our head. We're right with God. We've confessed our sin. We've praised him. We adored him. Now we're asking him for direction. I sing a little chorus. I sing uh, two songs every day, but I only sing one verse of one song, and that's he leadeth me. By his own hand, he leadeth me. And I sing that to remind myself to listen to that still small voice because the Holy Spirit does speak. Now, he doesn't speak in an audible voice. But let me tell you how he speaks. He'll put ideas in your head, but he'll also give you a great peace or give you the lack of peace. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But also circumstances, oftentimes God speaks through circumstances. When God began to call me to preach, it was through circumstances. He had me in a position where the only thing I could do in, in, in one aspect was to look up. <laughs> when you're laying on your back, you're looking up. And so he speaks through circumstances. But the Holy Spirit lives in us. And here's what the Bible says. Colossians says, let the peace of God rule your heart. The word rule is the word we get our word umpire from. What does an umpire do? He makes calls. So when you're going to buy that car and you just don't have any peace about it, you're, you're, you, know, you feel so uncomfortable buying that car 
or whatever decision you're making, don't do it because you don't have peace. Those big decisions, he's going to speak up. He doesn't speak in an odd voice, but he makes you feel miserable. And it's that way in so many things during our day that we need to remind ourselves just to listen. We're too busy to listen to God. Unfortunately, in America, we've gotten more and more busy. You know, years and years ago, when I was a kid, there wasn't all these things to do. Sundays were completely closed down pretty much when I was a young kid. So if you had a singing group come, man, your church is packed out because there wasn't all these things to do. <laughs> now we've got everything. Every night there's 50 things to do. And, and people had some time to sit on their porch and just relax. And, you know, people back then didn't want to watch and didn't choose to watch TV six hours a night. They would find time just to sit and relax in a chair on the porch or in a lazy boy or whatever, read a book. We've gotten away from that. And sadly, we've gotten away from it too much. We just don't give God any time at all. So the best thing I do in my day is I find a time to sit on my front porch. Now in the summer, it's too hot, so I find a way to sit in the basement somewhere. But now the weather's great again. I'm so happy to be on the front porch and just sit in that chair pray, sing my hymns. I read uh, the same chapter in the Bible over and over till I get it memorized. And, 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 and I just sit there then. And, and God gives me some direction. I knew I was going to preach last Sunday night. I told you that story, didn't I? I knew I was going to preach. I don't know why. I just said to Bryce, I said, hey, by the way, um, if you need me to preach tonight for some reason, just let me know. About an hour later, he called, you won't believe this. I need you to preach tonight. <laughs> He had come in contact with someone. He needed to take a break. And so <clears throat> here, here I was Sunday night, and, and the Lord helped me through that message, you know. But the peace of God, let it rule. And if anything is not done, with, if you do something without that peace, and you have trouble in your heart in the decision you're making, don't do it. Don't do it. And in fact, Scripture says anything that's not a faith is sin. So you, we have to be careful. Okay, are there any other questions before we um, look at our pa passage tonight? Any other Bible questions? Follow up on that. Lloyd, follow up anyone else? <clears throat> uh, ask questions. You know, I know you'll have them from time to time. Write them down. Ask me. You can drop them in the offering plate if you don't want to speak out. You can ask me before church. But I, I like to answer, answer questions for the benefit of everyone here. Because if some, Lloyd has a question... You know, he's been to Bible school. If he has a question, I guarantee others have thought about that same thing. So we ask the questions, we answer them publicly. We're looking at Matthew chapter 13. If you have a question, you can uh, do it afterwards. We're going to look at chapter 13, verses 31 and 32, and I will not be long tonight. Let's stand when you get there, Matthew 13, 31 and 32. There's one of those short parables that we're going to look at. Another parable. Isn't it great that he uses the word parable when he doesn't? We look for the word like or as. Here he uses the word parable. Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed it in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and, becomes, and becometh a tree." So that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. 
God bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world. Help us to learn something tonight that's not only uh, helpful but practical that we can put to use in our life. Help us to grow closer to you every time we look in your word. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We remember Matthew was originally named Levi. Levi was his Hebrew name. The Lord called these guys. He gave them a Greek name, a name he would call them. He's the one who was a tax collector. He worked for the IRS. Well, not really, but uh, he uh, invited all his co-workers to a banquet. We know that. And he gives us the complete gospel, we call it. Uh, Mark was the chronological gospel, Luke was the historical gospel, and John was the unique gospel in that 92% of John is unique. That's why it's not called one of the synoptic gospels, because the other three are not unique. They all, you know, refer and quote, and here's a perfect example. This mustard seed parables in all three of the, go the synoptic gospels. Synoptic, remember, means simply see together. So the Ma Matthew, Mark, and Luke see things together. And tonight, Matthew 13 is where we look. You can look at the other ones when you get home. But here the Lord doesn't give an explanation. And the last two parables we looked at, he did. But the main truth is that the kingdom started small, but will have an abnormal growth spurt. Now, the mustard seed was the smallest seed known to them in that part of the world. There's only one seed smaller I don't have it written down, so I don't remember. It's written somewhere in my Bible, but it's not in the, in, the, in the Middle East, in the Holy Land. He's the smallest seed. And, of course, God is going to share this parable. None of these parables reveal the inward qualities of the kingdom, just the outward appearance. And appearances can be deceiving. And so this parable is all about abnormal growth, a great growth in the church. He, this con the context of this parable, as we have here, is in harmony with those that's in between. Remember, it's in between wheat and tares and the parable of the leaven. Now, what do we learn about wheat and tares? That wheat, looks, wheat and tares look almost identical until the end of their life when the harvest comes and wheat is full of crop and it's hunched over and tares strand up, stand up and it's like people who stand up in arrogance and wheat is sort of like humility and that was our last parable. We'll talk about the leaven next time. And you know, a little leaven ruineth the whole. If you have a loaf of bread and you have a little piece of mold on one piece of bread, you tear that mold off as quick as you see it. Because your bread may last a few days longer. But if you leave that mold on, about three days later, look at it, half the loaf's blue. You know, and so a little leaven ruineth the whole. And leaven represents sin. And I'm getting ahead of ourselves. That's next week. But... We know, what, we know that parable as well. And Jesus, again, is teaching the church is going to have a false growth, and that'll include good and evil. And remember, there was a time when the church became a world power. And apostasy, unfortunately, was predominant in the church. All the little churches of the New Testament, Paul started 50-some, but we know there were many, many more. Each town had many of these little house churches. Quite often the books will say Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. You know, in those days you didn't have a vehicle you could travel 10 miles to church. You'd get on your, your animal and maybe you'd go a mile, but you'd usually be walking distance to a church in your little area. And they were small, just people either on a rooftop, if the weather were permitted, permitting, if not, they'd be in an upper room, second level, uh, out of the weather, 
but very small. Those churches didn't care about numbers like today's church. They cared about souls. And there's a difference. They weren't concerned about having the biggest church in town. They were concerned about safety. They were concerned about neighbors' situations spiritually, meeting one another's needs physically. You know, hey, do you have enough flour to get you through the week? And they just, it was, it was, it was the biblical type of socialism. Now, we're against socialism in the government, but we're not against it in the church, right? We believe that in the church, when you have a needy family, those that have an abundance should give to that family. That's, I joke saying that's church socialism. It's just a biblical concept is all. We shouldn't call it socialism. It could be confusing. But um, we, we know that those churches were concerned about everybody having enough food, where the widow's taken care of. Because if you're a widow and your husband died, you were in trouble already. And your safety, uh, you know, were you followed here to church tonight and preaching the gospel of salvation so any visitors could be saved. They weren't concerned about building buildings, about, you know, building reputations, about making a name for themselves about making money, and, and today's church is doing all those things. And I'm not saying anchor of hope is, but churches in general are not doing what the New Testament church did. They sent missionaries, didn't they? Took care of the missionaries' needs. And, and now we have the church, and all these little churches over the years have, have sort of fizzled out and phased out, and there were still Christians, and new churches have started through the centuries. I mean, there's always new churches started. Even though all those churches are gone, there's still churches. A few years later, another church will start in Galatia. And, and churches will keep starting. Some of those towns are gone now, just archaeological ruins. And churches are popping up in other areas. And churches have been planted and started for 2,000 years. But remember, when those churches kind of fizzled out, the Catholic Church basically took over. Rome allowed it. And the Catholic Church for hundreds of years was so powerful that no one dared stand up against it. Read the Inquisition, the history of the Inquisition sometime, and read about all the people who were killed, unfortunately, by the Catholic Church. Now, that's sad, a sad history, but it's in your history books. It's not history according to me. It's history according to every encyclopedia you can find. You know that you've read it. I mean, just thousands of Christians. Think of our Bible translators burned at the stake trainloads of Bibles that were burned. They didn't want the Bible to get in the average church person's hand because what would happen? They would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. It says there's only one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. So it's not Peter and it's not Mary. Wait a minute. Peter had a mother-in-law. If he wasn't married, how do you have a mother-in-law? Who'd want a mother-in-law if they weren't married? And so we find out Peter was married and had children. And Mary had other children because Jesus had half-brothers. So as they read, they're going to start saying, wait a minute, the church has not been honest with us. Boom, 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 and they'd find all kinds of stuff. So who wants Bibles to get in the hands of people? We believe the Pope is the infallible word. Well, he's not infallible, nor, nor is he God's living word. He's neither of the above. Now, I'm not picking tonight on the Catholic Church of today. I still don't agree with the Catholic Church of today. I'm talking about the history of the Inquisition and the martyrdom of many, many people. When Martin Luther uh, put his 95-page thesis on the cathedral door and walked away, that was the start of the Reformation. That started the ball rolling for Bibles and churches 
more in modern day churches springing up. Churches were still all over the place. There were churches in Africa, all over Europe, throughout the centuries, but they were in fear and hiding. So the church at that time was a world power. You, you know that so many world wars in those days were started because of, you know, the Irish Catholics and the Irish Protestants. Just study your history of spiritual, not spiritual warfare, but uh, church wars, we'll call them, okay? Then we come to the last hundred years and we've seen a huge growth of the church. I mean, think of what evangelical Christianity is doing today. Evangelicals, I mean people who are born again and believe Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. That's evangelical. Uh, we're part of evangelicals. Some Baptists don't like to use that term because they think it's ecumenical, and I'm not saying ecumenical. We don't agree with the ecumenical movement today, but we are evangelical in that we're evangelistic and we believe in salvation by grace. So, but look at how it's boomed, these mega churches. And unfortunately, some of the smaller churches today are struggling to keep up with the bigness and Jesus said there's going to be an abnormal church growth. And, and, and we're, we're just too concerned about numbers. We ought to be concerned more about people, pleasing God, and so forth. So we get back to our text. And we have a note here about Constantine, who forced many pagan ideas on the church and, and elevated her world power. And G. Campbell Morgan says the spirit of church world power still exists today. I mean, let me just say this. The church is too involved in politics today, but we need to be active in that we're praying for our country and we're voting. But we're not supposed to spend our day arguing politics and getting involved in things other than evangelizing. The best thing you can do for someone who believes in aborting a baby is win them to Jesus Christ. If you win an argument with them, you may lose any chance of witnessing. And I know Christians who get in heated confrontations over politics and they justify it by saying abortion is murder. Abortion is murder. You'll hear me preach that. But winning arguments is not helping the church today. The church is starting to be hated by the lost. We don't want that. We want the lost to see us as a lighthouse, an oasis in the desert, for them to come to us in the time of need. And if they don't see us as loving and receptive like Jesus, who said, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden. Jesus wants the abortionists to come to him, and he will love on them. He will not accept their sin. We know that. I'm not saying that. But we need to understand what our role is in all of this. So the lesson Jesus is teaching here, the kingdom of heaven is like the grain of a mustard seed. And Jesus is the man who sows the mustard seed in his field. The field we know is the world. All that's clear in this text. Um, and we've said last week, God also plants us in the world as well. The church is a small seed. But Jesus Christ, remember, died, and the 11 who followed him, 10 of those died as martyrs. Uh, and so there has to be death for there ever to be life. In John 12, 24, it says the seed must first die. And Jesus Christ had to first die before the church could be established or grow at all. You think of... <clears throat> Today, you know, the, the, the abnormal church growth in the last hundred years. Uh, 
And another sign of the end of the times is then all of a sudden you have lukewarmness. So while the numbers grew in the last 100 years, what's happened in the last 20? Lukewarmness has crept into the church. I mean, I'll just, I'll just tell you this. When I pastored seven years in Okinawa, military people were away from mom and dad. They were vulnerable, searching, and hungry. Uh, Sunday night, I was asked to go out with some of the folks, and uh, I stopped by Subway, and in Subway was the former chairman of my deacon board from Okinawa, right there in Eastridge. I thought, this is divine providence. I just decided not to go to, with the group. I wanted to, but I had some things in my mind and going to Subway, and there he is. And if I had him here tonight, he would say to you, we had people come forward every Sunday and every Sunday night for seven years we had a baptismal service. All right? Now look at the church. Look at the last 20, 25 years. That church now runs 150. They used to run seven or 800. When I left, they were packed. We had plans and bought a new building and had the money for the building. We had built a servicemen center. We had built staff apartments for all my staff and all that. And then I, I, I left and a new pastor came. And just over time, it's dwindled down. I'm not saying it's anyone's fault. I'm just saying we're in the day of lukewarmness. While we have a lot of mega churches and they're exciting, you have to, you have to understand this. There's wheat amongst the tares. There's leaven in the church. And Jesus um, talks about, it becomes the greatest of herbs, and he uses the hyperbole in exaggeration. He says it's, it becomes a tree. Now, we know a mustard seed can get 12 to 15, a mustard plant can get 12 to 15 feet, but Jesus said it becomes a massive tree. What's he trying to emphasize? He's talking about the church, and the church has become massive. If you talk about the worldwide church, I mean, just think of the amount of Christians that in the last hundred years, people that have been saved. I know I was part of a school that sent out oh, thousands of missionaries. Moody sent out thousands of missionaries. It's not happening anymore. We're starting to come to the lukewarmness, but the tree got very big. And we know that scholars teach that, I've got several listed here, that, that teaching numeric growth of the church and the danger of evil ones in the church, we need to teach that, that there would be Jesus, let me rephrase that, Jesus is teaching great numeric growth of the church and the danger of evil ones in the church. So it's one thing we want to grow numerically, don't we? I want Christians to join our church. I want people to be saved. But we have to recognize with that there are always birds or fowls in the, in the tree. This massive tree. Look at uh, verse 4, 13, 4. And he sowed some seeds, and, he sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Fowls speak of evil. Look at verse 19. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one. This is a explanation of the, the parable he just talked about, the fowls. The wicked one, again, is the fowl, the dirty bird. And, and, and who, who are the dirty birds? Who are the evil ones? Well, clearly, fowls or birds have been described throughout Scripture as, as evil. 
you know, files are, are listed as unclean in the law. Throughout Scripture, we see the example of files. Look at, um, let's look at some Old Testament verses real quick. Genesis 15, 11. I'm really probably just safe in reading Revelation 18, but I'm going to go ahead and read these anyway. 15, 11. And then after that, we'll go to um, Deuteronomy 28. But 15, 11. And when the fowls came down upon the carcass, Abram drove them away. You know, you know all about fowls, don't you? You know about uh, vultures, the turkey vulture, and the buzzards, and the ravens. They're nasty birds. Look at... Uh, uh, Deuteronomy 28, 26, 28, 26. And remember, the fowls are a type of evil, evil people and the evil one, Satan and the children of Satan. Did you know if you're not a believer, you're a child of the devil? That's what scripture says. You're a fowl. You're a child of the great evil one, the great evil bird, Satan. But Deuteronomy 28, 26. I talk and I don't turn. All right. It says here, And thy carcass shall be meat unto all the fowls of the air. And look at uh, Revelation 18.2. And you know this, Revelation 18.2, and this will ring a bell right here. It says here, And he cried mighty with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Unclean and hateful, they're described as. Remember, in the end of time, the, the, the Babylon will fall. Now, there's a, there's a physical Babylon and a spiritual Babylon. Most believe Babylon, which speaks of confusion, is going to rise out of Rome. And most believe that, that somewhere Rome, and some connect it to uh, a church in Rome, will say... Uh, have to be careful talking to our home folk because this is always broadcast, but some connect it to the Catholic Church. And so we know the Antichrist is going to be a religious person who's going to rise with supernatural power. Then Babylon will be defeated, and all the enemies will be slain. See, the Battle of Armageddon will be a big, a big defeat of all the enemies of God, and the fowls will come and eat all the dead flesh. Then the battle of nations. Once again, the fowls will gather from all over the world to eat the flesh. And, and the Bible teaches us here, the teaching of Jesus here is that in the last days, there'll be an abnormal growth in the church. But the bigger the church gets, the bigger the branches, the more fruit. Guess what's also in the branches? The enemy. And remember, he's taught the wheat and tares. There'll be tares in the church. Now he's teaching in the branches, there'll be fowls. So again, we're going to have evil amongst us. And then next week we look at the leaven. So he's really driving this, home point, with, this point home with several parables. Uh, so the application to your life. Rest assured the church has experienced abnormal growth. We know that we've seen it. Just read the last hundred years of church history. The church has grown. From the days of... Uh, Spurgeon and those in Europe, the church became very mighty. England was just blessed so much by God because England was a place that sent out missionaries. And you think about England and read about the history of England spiritually, now what's happened to them? Talk about lukewarm. They say on a regular basis, pubs turn into church, I mean, churches turn into pubs. Churches are empty in England. Then America rose up and we were just 
from the 50s through the 80s, I'd say. We were just sending missionaries. Churches were full. Churches were growing. And, and fowls came in and hurt the church. And now the church has come to a place of lukewarmness. So there's an abnormal church growth, but pride always brings the church down. The normal growth consists of humility, meekness, and lowliness. Jesus said, I am lowly in heart. When the disciples asked who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, what was Jesus' reply in Matthew chapter 18? Well, we're not going to look that up now, but we know he says, when you become as humble as a little child, then you'll be great in the kingdom of God. We are going to be surprised when we get to heaven. You know, as, when I was a young guy, I think about all the great preachers across America, and I still love these preachers that are just really good teachers, and I love to mark my Bible and learn, and there's several I can name that I just love to listen to. And I think, boy, I used to think, boy, are they going to be rewarded in heaven? And they may be, because they may be very humble people. But we, might, we might be surprised. We might get to heaven, and there may be some person in the front of the line who pastored 10 people in the mountains of West Virginia. But that's all the people he had in those mountains. And he was faithful for 40 years as their pastor. And he may be the one that's the greatest in the kingdom. Or it could be a custodian that just cleaned the church restrooms faithfully for years and years and never sought anything for it, not even the applause of men. You know, the Bible says if you get your applause now and the pat on the back now, you're not going to get it in the kingdom. Right? The least of these, when you become like a little child, Matthew 18 says, in this life, that makes you great in the kingdom. And you can look Matthew 18 up later, but let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We have a few more minutes. For once I get to let you out, for, or I should say for once I get to let you out with, with a message that's 30 minutes instead of 40 or 45. I've been long-winded lately. <clears throat> I always used to put a lifesaver in my mouth, and when it melted, I knew my 30 minutes was up. Then one day I put a button by mistake. I'm just kidding. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. What's the Lord going to do in the end? Then cometh the end when he had delivered up the kingdom to God. Can you imagine that? I mean, the church is raptured. He's now come down and he spent a thousand years here. And then in the end, he's going to deliver that kingdom to God. Even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. What's going to happen? At the end of that thousand years, the Bible says Satan will be loose for a little season. And he's going to go out and deceive the nations again, like he did in Armageddon. And they're all going to rally up. They're sick of this thousand-year reign when everything was perfect. They had these perfect godly justices and people sitting on thrones for Jesus. And Jesus is a perfect, and every sin was dealt with. They're going to be sick of it, and they're going to rise up to defeat Jesus and God's going to just, Jesus is just going to defeat him by speaking his word and all those nations be defeated. The Bible said God will have put down, meaning done away with, all authority and all rule and all power will be gone. There won't be any nuclear warfare. There won't be any nations that are powerful enough with nukes to harm anything. God will defeat it all. Think of all the world's armies coming after Israel and after Jesus. And when he's done with them, they won't have any power. It'll be unconditional surrender like Tokyo, you know, in 45 or whatever. So he's going to put it all down, do, deal with all of it. 
He'll deliver the kingdom to God and he'll put down all rule. Then we have three more verses. We're going to read these verses. Uh, Do you have in your notes, I hope, 2 Corinthians 11, 2, we'll go there first. Who do you think is the bride? You know the answer. It's the church. It's whosoever will may come is the bride. And we see that in these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. 11, 2. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I, am have, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a trace, chaste virgin to Christ. So who, who, is, who is the bride of Christ? We are, the church. We're the bride of Christ. Look at uh, Revelation 21, and we'll close here with these two verses. 21, 9 and 22, 17. I, I love this. I, it, sometimes I can be a crybaby. I did a couple of my boys' weddings, and at one boy's reception, everybody's standing up saying something good, and I st- stood up and choked, and I started sobbing. It was a big wedding, and I'm up there sobbing like a baby about losing my son. There were times I wanted to throw him out. You know, but I mean, it was such an emotional time for me to see him become a man and grow up and mature and be, be a, and his wife said to me two months ago, we have a great marriage. He's a great father and a great husband. I got a call from, not a call, an email from the headmaster of the school system in China. There's several schools this guy's over. And he wrote me and said, what a great man of God my son was and what a great deacon and a great asset in the underground church. And I thought, you know, I just couldn't handle that without crying. You know, I'm a crybaby. My mom, my mom was a crybaby, and I got that from her. But, you know, and that was just my son. Think of a, I'm going to have to give away my daughter one day. And while it doesn't seem so tragic when she's still at home, I know it's going to be difficult when that day comes. But you think about weddings. We all love weddings. They're short. I mean, a wedding's 20 minutes, and then you get the food. I mean, we love weddings. It's, it's a good thing. It's the opposite of a funeral. You're, you're, you're rejoicing instead of mourning, and we look forward to it. Look at 21.9. It says here, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had seven vials, full of seven last plagues, and talked to me, saying, Come hither, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Look at 22.17. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You want to be part of the bride? You have to be part of the church. How do you become part of the church? You're born again. Spiritually baptized in the church, and then you go up symbolically and you get in the water, and that adds you to the local church. That doesn't save you. But spiritual baptism does. For by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, aren't you?